in the entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Well, he has trouble with the spin, and the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State's Jalen Watts-Jackson, and he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG bringing your own guts, and they brought some is now in. And a good Monday afternoon to you. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank in the house. Nunchuck on the other side of the proverbial glass. Yes, glad to have you with us on a Monday afternoon. Quarterback edition of the show as we recap what took place over the weekend in the National Football League. And there were 14 teams. All right. We've basically cut that more than half, right? All right. Down to eight. All right, we'll talk about uh, the divisional round coming up this weekend. Recap, like I said, what happens Saturday and Sunday. And, of course, tonight, college football national championship game, Alabama-Ohio State. The college football season, we've gotten through it. Am I speaking too early? Have we gotten through it yet? We didn't think we might get through it. We haven't kicked off yet. Barring any type of delay, postponement, Health issues. I think we're going to get through it. Yes. Kick kick off tonight at 515. The Crimson Tide and the Buckeyes both undefeated. 112-0, 1-7-0. Looking forward to this. Point spread continues to rise. We'll dive into that today as well, too. Currently, we're looking at Alabama minus eight. And uh, looking forward to tonight's game. All right. A lot to do. A lot to cover. Houston Nutt will join us from CBS Sports. The football coach is... Uh, one of our go-to guys, I guess, on the scene in Miami, Florida. Uh, Trevor Maddich doing his magic work as we speak right now with uh, ESPN. Uh, Trevor will join us tomorrow. So we'll have the coach on today. We'll have the player, the Emmy Award winner tomorrow to recap. Uh, a lot of great stuff as we hit the national championship game tonight. Looking forward to the national game, but you threw me off right off the top when you said that We've, we're down to more than half of the teams because I didn't know that eight was more than half of 14. I knew you were going to say that because, I mean, well, we had we had two buys, okay? We had Kansas City right, and the AFC. But we haven't cut it down to more than half. We, we, we've eliminated six teams, but, yeah, that, that's eliminated not, six. but that's not more than half okay, of what stop. there was. We went from 14 to eight, correct? You, you, you have my head spinning, and I'm trying to get around it. So, no, this is on you. You spin me right around, <laughs> right around. Come on, man. We went from 14 to 8. I didn't ask the NFL to go to, to 14 here. No, but you enjoyed it. I did enjoy this weekend. I, I enjoyed I it as well, except for one particular game where I didn't enjoy right. it. When a guy who was an idiot who punched a player and got himself ejected the last time these two teams yeah. met dropped the best pass Trubisky's ever thrown in his life, which could have made it a game. Could have made it a game. Probably would have made it a difference, as you know. We don't know. Yeah, we know. We have no idea. Go Bears! That game was non-competitive. But I know what you're saying. But back to That's my terrible. but my 14 to 7 to the half. See, I was calculating, okay, we're at 14. I can't say half because we know there's not seven teams left. So that's why I had to go with the direction that I went with. All right? You, you couldn't just say six teams have been eliminated? Well, you, could, you didn't even have to really to bring eight? it up. Yeah, why do you have to bring it up? You no, I just, did because my head's been rolling. pounding ever since you said it. I don't know I what you said after that. Always <laughs> picking on me. <laughs> you do. I was you like, huck? huh? What? Huh? 
Nice that you have your scarlet and gray on today, too, by the way. Very nice. That was intentional. I know it was. Of course. You know, got to support. I got Got to represent. I'll still be wearing bear shirts and that kind of stuff, too. Today you go scarlet and gray. Even though they were horrible. All right, so you're getting eight points tonight. You interested in taking your eight points with your scarlet and gray? I don't bet games where I have a cheering interest. Ever? I have. Yeah, okay. I have. It's a fair question. But it's not going on now. No way. No, absolutely no way. You don't way. feel comfortable with them? No, I, I certainly don't feel comfortable <laughs> okay. with them. Okay. If, I feel com- if I felt comfortable with them, I would have picked Alabama in our best bets. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you're not going to bet Alabama, even though you took Alabama as the best bets. I get that. But I thought that, you know, maybe you start feeling the love over the weekend as we no. get closer to kickoff. You got your scarlet and gray on. You love your Buckeyes. I thought maybe you might want to put a few shekels no, because then, plus eight. Because then if Alabama got up two touchdowns, then I'd be seething and hated even more. Yeah. Or how about a teaser pleaser? Get them up to, no, no, to 14 no. or 15? Tease a total? Nah, not for you? Teasers to me are the people shaking their pom-poms on the sidelines and not something that I'm putting my money on. I don't know what that means, but all I know is teaser pleaser has been good. That's all I got to say. And all I know is often tease seldom pleased for me. (laughs) He is speaking from experience, ladies and gentlemen. That is ballpark Frank. All right. Steve Sachs is going to join us. Later today as well, too, and we wanted to talk to Saxy regarding thoughts about Tommy Lasorda. We mentioned on the show Friday when we were at the Cosmopolitan, Tommy Lasorda dies at the age of 93, cardiac arrest the day after he got back from the hospital. So there's been a lot of tributes to him, and I thought it'd be great to uh, hear from uh, one of his own and one of our good friends who played for Tommy Lasorda, won two World Series titles under Tommy Lasorda, 1981-88, and we're talking about the second baseman, Steve Sachs. So, sure, he's I, got a good story or two to tell. He's got several stories, <laughs> several stories could and probably many just stories. Feel, we could probably just say, Steve, tell us about Tommy and just sit back and let him take over the rest of the yeah, segment. Yeah, and that's, that's what we're going to kind of do. And um, I know a couple things that he has talked about before, and I'm going to... I think he'll I think he'll he'll oblige with that. Okay. And because when you're dealing with situations like this, you never like to to have people say things that maybe they're not comfortable saying. But um I'm gonna go there with him with this because he's got some stories that a lot of people don't know uh about the way not only him but other people treated Tommy Lasorda. So uh, I, I think Sachs will be willing to go there. You think he'll be so, accommodating? You know, I think he'll be accommodating. Very good. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, because sometimes you don't like to. Th- I know a lot of reporters in that they think it's like their job to try to throw people under the bus or catch them off guard in that. Yeah. I've never liked that scenario myself necessarily mm-hmm. because you don't because you do and especially with you, these guys are your friends. You know them all. You've built relationships with them. You don't do that to friends and people that you hope to have on again. If it's a one-shot deal and you want to do that, that fine. that's fine. But that always says something to me about the character of somebody doing the interview right. when they do that kind of stuff and when they try to do that stuff over and over again. Right. No, totally agree with you, know, with, with, with you with that. And again, not insinuating that at all. I just know that there's... There are some some personal stories that people feel comfortable telling, and 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 sometimes they don't, you know, on air, especially when there there is a death. And uh, so I know Sachs has some great memories, some great stories with those Dodger teams. I mean, heck, again, I remember he was a young guy when he came in and in the '81 team. He was he only been in the league, you know, one or two years. And there's Tommy Lasorda, and Tommy Lasorda was kind of an inexperienced manager. 
as well to a certain degree too. He came in as a coach with the Dodgers under Walter Alston. Very talkative third base coach. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and there was a lot of people going back in those days that weren't sure that he was going to be able to transition to being a successful manager. And it took some time and he was, and again, Hey, two world series titles. I mean, good for Tommy Lasorda. And what did we talk about yesterday? What he had, uh, what, what four uh, division crowns or four NLCSs and, you know, eight division crowns. I mean, just, just, just phenomenal. And again, one victory shy of 1,600, 1,599 victories for Tommy Lasorda as a manager that encompassed 20 years from 1976 to 1996. Yeah, and when you see a guy like that, too, it's so different when you see the old footage of him. And then I'm sure the stories that uh, Steve Sachs is going to be able to share with us today and that when you look at today... And you see so many managers being so robotic and so just following the analytics and this, that, and the other. I know you like to talk about cash all the time down there in Florida and, and how he just drives you crazy in that. Tommy Lasorda was one of those old school guys. He talked. He wasn't afraid to chirp his own players, the other players, the fans and that. You know, he did what was on his mind and he went by his gut. You know, he didn't just go, oh, it's a righty-lefty. I got to get some matchup in or something like that. He knew the game and he went by the feel of the game. Often he was right. Sometimes he was wrong, but he wasn't afraid to make those moves on his knowledge of the game and his feeling for what was going on, not just looking at a damn chart. Exactly. And that's the way it was with just about every manager, you know, back in those days. So, yeah, very, very good stuff. We'll look forward to talk to Steve Sachs regarding Tommy Lasorda. All right. So a lot of football, obviously, today that we have to hit on. And uh, first of all, we had some breaking news a, a few hours ago. Doug Peterson. Fired by the Philadelphia Eagles. We talked about this last week. I think I tweeted it out. You and I talked about it last Sunday when the games were, were happening, that Sunday night fiasco with the Eagles and the Giants. Or Redskins, I should say. The Eagles-Redskins. I don't know. I did it again. Eagles and Washington. <laughs> there you go. And I, I The really polling th- of Hurts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh don't want to say I called for it, but I was just saying it, it doesn't make sense. Well, we were talking about Black Friday and mentioned yes. it's like, okay, these, right. are the, these are the coaches we know aren't there. There's going to be more, and one that probably should be, not that we ever are cheering for somebody to lose their job, but a guy who probably earned losing his job was Peterson. Absolutely. And so it happens a week later, and uh, the word came down today after he had several meetings all week with Jeffrey Lurie, the Eagles owner, that uh, – they were going to part ways, and Doug Peterson was let go today by Jeffrey Lurie and the Eagles. 4-11-1 and and was their record this year. A very controversial season. Uh, a lot of controversial aspects of this. The way he handled the quarterback situation with Carson Wentz and, and Jalen Hurts. Uh, but Lurie felt that uh, he was unconvinced by Doug Peterson that he actually had a sound vision on how to move forward with his football team. He questioned a lot of the moves that Peterson made, uh, a myriad of issues with this team, from the quarterback situation to an offense that finished 26th in scoring, 28th in passing, and uh, coaching staff situations as well, too. We know Jim Schwartz said, hey, I'm taking a year off of football. We don't know if Jim Schwartz was saying this because he did not get along with Peterson. He just needed a break from the Eagles situation. We don't know if it's health issues. But there was a lot of, uh, of turmoil in this locker room with coaches. And, of course, the quarterback situation was prevalent. 
it was just a nightmare season for a team that had a lot more talent than their record indicated. Yeah, and, and I don't know how much of it had to do with the fact when we heard reports about players that literally wanted to go after him on the sidelines during the game. Now we know that Kelsey came out and said that that wasn't necessarily the case. But again, if it was the defensive players, he would have actually been on the field when that would have been going on on the sidelines. So, but there was a lot of things. And like you mentioned, I thought it was interesting when you said, you know, he had his list or whatever of questionable decisions and that kind of stuff. Boy, that must have been a long list oh. because yeah, there, there were so – like going for two at what points of the games, kicking, not kicking, fourth down. I mean, there's so many – that must have been a laundry list of questionable decisions that Peterson made. Right, and, you know, back to with, with Lori deciding to finally let him go, it took him a week because he didn't want to make a, you know, an emotional decision after the season Knee-jerk ended. Knee-jerk reaction. A- ab- absolutely, but – what is, is pretty ironic about all this, too, because remember, when they were struggling, and all the teams in the NFC least were struggling, there was talk about Peterson losing his job. And if you remember, Lurie said, hey, Doug Peterson's coming back. We're sticking with him. He's our guy. He emphatically stated that, I want to say, five or six weeks ago. But, man, it just goes to show you how things change, and possibly one game can be – I hate to use that term, but, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back, you know, the stupid cliches. But, but really, when you don't play to win the game, and that's the way it came across to people that were watching the game, definitely the New York Giants thought that way, and his own players on the Eagles felt that way as well, too. You don't put in Nate Sudfield because, well, he's been on this team for four years. We really haven't got a chance to look at him. So let's look at him now when we're down by three. And I made a bonehead call. Not me, but, you know, Peterson making a bonehead call in fourth and five not to kick a a game-tying field goal at the end of the third quarter. I mean, these were decisions that that Jeffrey Lurie had to say, okay, what were you thinking? Why did you do this? Why have you, you know, when you're down by eight, are you electing to go for two and get it to six? You know, why is that? When you're down nine to get to seven. And, again, scoring the first touchdown of a game after you march right down the field. Hey, let's go for two immediately. Oh, we didn't get it. Now it's six nothing instead of seven nothing, but we want it to be eight nothing. We saw this from him the last two or three years. Didn't make any sense whatsoever, and very few people called him out about it. So I think, yeah, this is what, what was part of the reason. It was that. How do you handle this situation with Wentz going forward? You know the locker room is broken after that debacle uh, against Washington. Yeah. And so – and I got a chance to know Doug Peterson a little bit because, again, he was an assistant coach with the Packers way back when. And I like the guy. I think he's a really nice guy. But just as a head coach, I think there's a lot of uh, question marks there, not just from the decision-making, but the relationships. And can he be a guy that can stand up to players and make these tough decisions? And I think some of the players are kind of alluding to that as well, too. That's probably an issue. Well, and when you said the thing, you don't like to necessarily use cliches like, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. But in reality, it was in this in this situation. Not only was it a questionable call, and by questionable, that's actually probably being nice. It was a stupid, stupid decision and call. But now all of a sudden, Laurie and everybody else in the organization is having to answer the question of, why did you tank? Announcers all around the NFL, on every station, ESPN, Fox, this, that, anybody covering sports, they all brought it up. There were people that came right out and said they obviously tanked. That affects the credibility of the entire organization with that move. And again, we don't know. 
maybe it wasn't Peterson. Maybe somebody else told him to make that move. But when he did it, he's the one that's going to get all the repercussions from it. And, you know, you have to do something at that point. And I thought it was interesting, too, when you mentioned that, well, the co- you know, the, the owner had said recently, like, no, he's coming back. Well, apparently we didn't hear him under his breath say, yeah, he's coming back for one game and then we're getting him, getting him out of here. And, again, I know you don't like the cliches, but there's another old cliche. A pat in the back is only about a foot away from a kick in the ass. And he got kicked out the door there. <laughs> he did. And I think, really, that the Eagles would be better served with this. Now, again, anytime there's a, a coaching change or coaching, you know, firing – you, okay, let's let's get out the the list here. Okay, the Eagles are a lot closer than a lot of these other teams to being a very good team. Remember, three years ago, this team won a Super Bowl, and I think that's where ownership said, "You know, I can't get rid of this guy because he brought us our only Super Bowl championship." Now I don't know. If, you know sometimes that's overrated. They say just because he is the head coach of a team doesn't mean that he brought us a championship. Sometimes you're just in the right place at the right time. Mike McCarthy won a championship with the Packers, okay? It wasn't anything that Mike McCarthy really did to win that championship in 2010, okay? He he wasn't this stoic leader. He wasn't this innovative guy. He was nowhere close to Vince Lombardi or George Hallis or anybody like that, okay? Uh, You know, Mike Sherman, great guy. Loved him, and he came so close. But, again... Didn't you know? Bring him there. Now you could say guys like Bill Walsh, and you could say Mike Holmgren, you know, and you can say Andy Reid, you know, in Kansas City. That that's fair enough. But it's just like Lafleur. Matt Lafleur is going to get all of these kudos, and he already is. Oh, look at all the wins. He's got the highest winning percentage of a coach for the first two years of his career. He went into a ready-made situation with Aaron Rodgers and just a perennial playoff team year in and year out. So and, and, and let's be honest, a division that's not the toughest in the NFL that they get to play all those teams twice every year. Absolutely. absolutely. Pains me to say that, but it's a fact. Right. So the question is, will Peterson resurface somewhere else? Probably so because he's got a Super Bowl on his resume, and it's recent. It was after the 2017 season. But the Eagles, are they going to go the routine that everybody else wants to go? We hear the Jets, the Jaguars, isn't that? They don't want to go high-profile name. No, they want to go ahead and, and, and bring in another coordinator. So we'll, we'll see how this works. I don't know which direction the Eagles are going to go, but it's, it's, a, it's a very good job. It's an interesting job. Uh, they need to get healthy. They need to shore up that offensive line because they gave up too many sacks this year, more than anybody in the NFL. But you do have a guy in Jalen Hurts, and you got a guy with Carson Wentz. So what's going to happen here? We're going to have the debate all over again. So this is going to be an interesting, you know, job position to watch get filled here over the next few weeks it's going to be interesting and it's also interesting when you try to figure out okay well where does this go in the ranking of the coaching availabilities out there because right now everybody seems to be thinking that the chargers is the most lucrative and the best jacksonville because they're going to have trevor lawrence coming in is enticing to some people the jets were kind of the one that most people think has the most work to do in a very very media-savvy, media-critical market, so it's a tough road to hoe. So where do, is Philadelphia second behind the Chargers? Are they ahead of the Chargers? Are they, are they right there, you know, 2A and 2B or something like that with Jacksonville or whatever? So it is interesting, but I agree with you. There is some talent there, and I guess one of the big question marks is, what do you do with Carson Wentz? Because he obviously doesn't want to be there, but would he be there with a new coach that he's happy with? And do you want him there with that salary? Right. Or would you like to try to get rid of him and say, all right, here's the keys, young Mr. Hertz. Now drive it. Right. Yeah, I think you have to look at that. And the new head coach is going to have to come in. First of all, 
the first question that he has to have with Jeffrey Lurie is saying, okay, am I going to have, you know, the decision-making power to start one of these quarterbacks or to bring in somebody new, or am I going to be like Peterson and say, well, I got to play this guy. I'm stuck. Like Ron Rivera was with Washington. They said, hey, we got Dwayne Haskins for you. We're paying him a ton of money. He's our future. We drafted him in the first round. He's your quarterback. And Rivera's going, Ugh. I He's mean, you don't want that. Party on. Yeah, party on. And then luckily for Ron Rivera, he gets rid of Haskins. Haskins goes by the wayside. And Haskins and, made it easy for him, exactly. too. Exactly. Has- Haskins point. made right. it nice and easy with the right. stupid stuff right. he did off the field. But back to your question about where does that job rank, I'm going to say if I got to rank the vacant NFL coaching positions right now with the team that could be successful immediately i'm gonna throw in the houston texans i'm gonna look at the texans right now. you got deshaun watson all right you still and you still got jj watt and i think you get you bring in a new culture you clean that up i think that's attractive the eagles are attractive and then maybe the chargers are attractive they got herbert that's great but then the rest of the chargers scenario Again, a little bit more of a rebuilding. So but the Eagles, you are more attractive than the Chargers. I, I think so because I, there's more veterans on that team. And, 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 and just, again, if, it's uh, close. It's close. Yeah, and, and a lot of it too, like yeah. you mentioned, is the behind the scenes stuff that we don't know right now. Mm-hmm. How much control do they have? Yeah. How much say do they have? Can they implement their system? Do they get to try to put the right pieces in place in that, or are they handcuffed a little bit as to what decisions they can make? And it's like, here's the players now win with them. That's a tough right. way to go a lot of times. Then I'll go with maybe Detroit, then the Jets. And the toughest job, I, I do think, is Jacksonville. Just because no head coach, no GM, you know, you're going ha- to be starting a rookie quarterback. And let's be honest, you know, we don't know how good Trevor Lawrence is going to be. I mean, people thought that he'd be a lot better in that last game that he played. And Ohio State made him look pretty silly. And, and, and fair or unfair... Yeah. Because of Trevor, just because of Trevor Lawrence going there, there's going to be some unrealistic expectations by some of their fan base and that sort right. of stuff. Okay, we got the number one pick, Trevor Lawrence. Here's the savior. Now go out and win and make the playoffs. It's not necessarily that easy. Yeah, and again, it, they interviewed Urban Meyer last weekend. I'm not sold on Urban Meyer because he hasn't coached in the NFL. Wasn't a head coach there. And again, he's been out of it for a while. And again, his health issues, his family, he, he, he always defers to his family. Whether, hey, can I come back? Should I come back or whatever? Urban Meyer is not an attractive candidate for me. For a lot of people, they look at his record and they look at, you know, what he's what he did at all of his stops, specifically Ohio State. But, man, I just – with this guy who's had health issues, he's been away from the game, how can you go in and say, this guy's going to be my coach for the next five or six years? You can't guarantee that. Well, no, and, and that's – any length of time you put on it is questionable with him because his attention span hasn't been there. Right. He gets out of he's a quarter horse. He gets out of the gate really fast, but he doesn't necessarily have the stamina to go the distance. And in Jacksonville, I have a feeling that it's going to take a little while, although there is some talent there. And Trevor Lawrence, maybe he's going to be as great as everybody thinks. Maybe he's not going to be. Remember this, Trevor Lawrence, I believe, was favored to win the Heisman the last two years. Yes. Uh, yeah. Don't think he got there. No, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't. And again, against... Elite competition. When he faced elite competition, we always didn't see the best out of Trevor Lawrence, and we didn't see it against Ohio State. Yeah, he threw for 400 yards, but throw that out the window. Ben Roethlisberger threw for nearly 500 yards last night. They were never in that game. And, and, and Roethlisberger went through three picks that I remember. I mean, I, I gave up on the game you know, early on. But, yeah, 
So don't get fooled with all this yardage. We talked about Tua. Oh, Tua had that game against Buffalo, and he threw for nearly you know, 400 yards, like what, 363 or whatever it was. He was horrible. He was the reason why they lost the game. So people get caught up in these stats, especially when at the you know second half or in the fourth quarter, you're facing backups, you're facing prevent defense, and you're going dink and dunk, and you're completing you know passes and balls uh, that you weren't doing earlier because the pressure's off you now. You know? Well, yeah, like you mentioned with Rosselberger. Didn't he have 47 completions? No. So 500 yards. So he should be around that area, yeah, quite 60 honestly. 60-something attempts you know, last night? There, there's a teacher I had years ago. Wasn't a great teacher. But he said one of the most prolific things that I ever heard, and I still remember to this day. Statistics don't lie, but liars use statistics. Wow. And you look at that so often with the stats and that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, right. First off, you know he's throwing every down. But last night, he really threw every down. Yeah. And, and in his defense, you fall behind 28 to nothing. <laughs> you pretty much just killed yourself at the beginning. Yeah. Well, you killed yourself uh, in the beginning when, when Pouncey snaps the ball over your head. And again, you know, we talked a lot about this game leading up. And, you know, I was kind of on the fence here. And I really wanted to, to make a case for Cleveland because we've seen more consistency, in my opinion, with the Browns than we have the Steelers. And... It matters how you finish the season. I'm not talking about the last week of the season, but you go back to the last two, three, four, five weeks of the season, and yeah, Pittsburgh got a couple of victories during that time, but they did not look good in any of those games. In some of those games, they looked downright awful. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, no question. I mean, the offense, I mean, the drop passes that we talked about with Roethlisberger, Ebron, Smith-Schuster, the list goes on and, and on. And Smith-Schuster still won't uh, shut his mouth. Even today, he's like, I'm not apologizing. I'm not sorry for anything I said. Well, you ought to be. Yeah. You, you, you need to look every single teammate in that locker room and say, hey, look, I know that my antics got us in trouble before, and I'm still doing it. I don't care – you're not one of the greatest receivers of all time. You don't have the right to be that stupid and put your entire team on blast and give bulletin board material to the other teams out there, especially with the way you guys have been playing. I don't know who has a talk with him, but somebody needs to. But I have a lot of friends that are Steeler fans, and what do I see all over social media today and last night after, during the, even during the game? Well, because they were down so much so early. It's almost like they're happy, like, well, finally, we're going to get rid of Tomlin. Like, everything's his fault. I mean, they, they've never liked that guy. Yeah, well, and there's a, there's a lot of people, you're right, they don't like him. And I can understand that. I can understand that because they say that he has won with the talent he's had, and they've had some spectacular talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They've had offensive playmakers. But this guy just doesn't strike you as being that bona fide leader but you know, bona fide, you know, football guy. You know, it doesn't doesn't seem like it. So if that job did open up, where would that go in that hierarchy of teams? Be at the top. But, yeah, because I mean, number one. Yeah, they've but got a lot go- of. Talent. He's not going anywhere though. That's the problem because ownership. You know how ownership is with the Steelers. They've had four head coaches their entire franchise history. No, I, I realize you know, that. But, so, but even with that, because no. there has been rumblings the last couple of years, the way that they got out of the gate so incredibly fast yeah. and what they faced, the way they wrapped it up, even in Pittsburgh, they might be going, you know what? Maybe, maybe it's time to make a change. Yeah, and I agree with them. I'll even go even further with the maybe. I would say suggestion yeah big time suggestion that that's the direction that you should go because i think they need a new voice they need a breath of fresh air he doesn't have the locker room he doesn't no he doesn't and again 
Uh, I appreciate what he did to a certain degree with Antonio Brown and guys like that. Le'Veon Bell, I appreciate that. But you have to question what he's running offensively and defensively, especially offensively, and what they're doing there. And that's been a problem. And Roethlisberger may be retiring. And you have to go to either Mason Rudolph or somebody else. you got to look at somebody else. But, yeah, I think the Steelers have a lot of problems. And, and I, zero running attack. Yeah, which is a shame because you have James Conner and you know Benny Snell is not the answer. We know that. But the thing about it is with, with the Browns and the Steelers, I'm glad for the Browns. I've never been a Cleveland Browns type of guy just because of the futility that they've had. Kind of reminds me a lot of the Raiders. I wasn't a Baker Mayfield guy at all. I didn't like his attitude. But you know what? That offensive line is stellar. They've gotten better on defense. And, of course, I'm happy for Showtime Sean Porter and all those diehard Browns fans. I am. But the way the Steelers have been playing, I'm glad, Frank, I don't have to look at them anymore this year. Because it, 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 it was painful to watch them play. And if you're a better betting on the Steelers, it was been painful last month of the season as well, too. So I'm glad that the Browns advanced. They advanced soundly, thoroughly destroying the Steelers last night. And uh, we have a lot of conversation to talk about all week long, and specifically with the Browns against Kansas City. Uh, you know, can, can they do it? Because there's another team that comes in here 14-2, and two, but still has, hasn't had a victory in what their last, whatever it's been, seven or eight victories that they've won by more than a touchdown. It's going to yeah, be interesting. It, it definitely will be interesting. But like you said, we are now down to eight. We'll see how that plays out. And, um, you know, we brought it all the way back to that. See, we brought it right back to the eight. There we go. All right. All right. We got to talk about the college national championship game tonight. Houston Nets been there, of course, with us all season long and last couple of years as well, too. Does a fantastic job. The former coach with CBS. He's going to break it down for us and we will talk Alabama, Ohio State coming up next. Alabama. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. Strike up the band. Bring out the crimson and white pom-poms. As my tag team partner, Ballpark Frank, is just shaking his head because he's got Scarlet Gray. That's all right. We're going to equal opportunity here. He's a lovely young we're, lady. We're, we're going to go ahead and play some Buckeye fight song here pretty soon. But right now, it's all about the roll of Tide. We're ready for kickoff. 5-15 tonight. The Tide and the Buckeyes, the Battle of Undefeateds. And we got to go to our man. I'm going to call him Mr. SEC. That's it. Uh, he, he's my man. Houston Nuts, CBS. What is going on, Coach? What do you say, TC? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I am pumped up, revved up, fired up, ready to go. I want to get this football game going, my friend, because I've been waiting for this for a long time. Let's crown a champion. Right. That's right. That's right. Glad that we're we're actually having a championship game. That's first and foremost. So, hey, a lot of credit to a lot of trainers and doctors and coaches and players, everybody, for putting forth a great effort to get to this point. So let me ask you, how surprised are you that we got here despite the pandemic oh. and all the obstacles that we had to face? Oh, hey, remember this summer now? I can't. I don't know if we've talked or not during yeah. the summertime, but we, were, yeah. we wasn't sure. You know, we wasn't sure if we were even going to have a season. So to get to this point, it's just big. It's just really, 
enormous. So I'm I'm just really thankful that we're going to be able to watch a championship game tonight. And uh, because we didn't know, we didn't know in the summertime we even going to have a even going to have a season. Right, and especially the Big Ten. I mean, you heard Ohio State; they thought they weren't going to be playing any football. You know, right. after right. They, they pulled the plug, and then the Pac-12 pulled the plug, and then they had to come back and say, okay, you know, we're, we're going. Yeah. And we heard a lot of you know, people in that conference, like Scott Frost, and we heard from Ryan Day, and they were trying to, to get the, the chancellors and the presidents and the athletic directors all on the same page. But, man, it took the Big Ten a yeah. long time to get this together, unlike the SEC and the Big 12, where they said, hey, man, we, we want to go. I remember the conversations, Houston, that we were talking about this, where what, remember was it what Dan Mullen says, I think we can pack 60,000 in there. Yeah, let's go. Right. <laughs> so it's, that's right. It's great. Yeah, I remember. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. But yeah, I, I'm glad that we, that we have this. So let me ask you with your coach's eyes, and we'll break down a couple different aspects here, but keys to tonight's game. What is the, yeah. the most important, maybe if there's one single element for you, to what, what you're going to be watching for tonight. What is that? Okay. I want to look at it on, on both teams, okay? Let's start with Ohio State. Ohio State, if I'm on that side, I think it's really important for this to happen. Alabama always gets out of the gate fast. I mean fast. They score fast. If you go back and study how, how many points they score in the first quarter, uh, it's a bunch. I don't know what it is. It's a bunch. So, to me, it's important if you're on that side – is you can't let them just throw bombs and get get out of the gate in such a hurry where it's 14 to nothing in the first three or four minutes. So I think that's important. But in saying all that, if you go back and look the last couple of weeks, Ohio State's offensive line has been very good. They've opened up some holes. Trey Sermon, this guy's been off the charts as far as running the football. There's running lanes there. Uh, get him going if you're if you're that if you're on Ohio State side, but also Justin Fields has got to play a game. He's got to play a game at a very high level. We've seen bad games and we've seen good games. This last week versus uh, Clemson was phenomenal, and he'll have to have one of those games where he's very very accurate. And the other thing is you can he can use his legs to make it happen. So to me, it's a couple of things. The the defensive front of Ohio State. You know, they don't have a Chase Young or a Bosa as far as a guy that's a speedster coming off the edge, but they can be disruptive now in the middle. They're a big group of defensive line, and by a committee, they've caused some problems. So they've got to do a good job of stopping the run with Najee Harris and get your running game going, and then Justin Fields play at a high level. On the flip side of it, uh, Alabama – to me, has to worry about on defense. You got to worry about okay. They love to go too deep, uh, five underneath man, and I mean they cover. You think you got them all covered, and well, look what happens. Uh, Justin Fields takes off running, and uh, his legs are like the twelfth man now. When you think you have everything covered up, he can take it off and keep the chains moving. So it'll be interesting. Watch that. How many times does? Alabama play man-to-man with either a two-deep or three-deep, and you have five underneath man. All Everybody's in everybody's faces. How many times they do that? Because when those corners and nickels and dimes turn and run, man, I'll tell you what, now there's, a, there's some running lanes there for Justin Fields. So I'm going to watch that. The other thing is Mac Jones and Devontae Smith, they've been off the charts. But now Jalen Waddle, now you're hearing his name a little bit. Is he going to play? Because – 
I want to tell you, I don't know if it, they're using it for a decoy or what, but the word is he's been practicing a little bit. And he is a difference maker now. And they got Mechie and they've got all these other guys. Tight end's good. But, man, if you got Waddle out there and, and he's pretty close to full speed, you got to watch him. you you got to watch him. So I'm, I'm anxious to see uh, that there's been some, been some holes in the Ohio State secondary. And I just think if it, it, it's, it's going to be a great one. I think it's going to be a great game. I'm just anxious to see who's going to get off the fastest and, and again, who's going to win this turnover margin. Obviously, the health of uh, Fields is going to be a big factor here. He needs to be ready to go. Like you said, for one reason, he's got to be able to run the ball a little bit when those opportunities are there. So that's going to be a big part for him as well. But before the Clemson game, we were talking about Ohio State. We talked about how they don't have a Bosa or a Young this year. But against Clemson, they did get pressure on. They used some blitzes here and there. They they had a lot of men stunt and do different things at the line. What do they need to do against Alabama to make that happen? Do they need to blitz more frequently? Do they need to try to mix it up a little bit? Because the thing is, is good as Clemson is with Trevor Lawrence, Alabama's got so much, so many more weapons than even Clemson did. Well, you're right. You're right. And, and I, I do think they'll have to mix things up. And uh, if you're sitting there, Ohio State's defense, and you're in that defensive room, you're saying this, hey, look, guys, they get out of the gates quick. Let's keep everything in front of us. Hey, Devontae Smith's a great receiver. Let's tackle the catch. And we don't need him having 60 and 80-yard bombs. So you got to wrap him up. Uh, but you're right. That that defensive front has caused some disruption, some some problems. So I think they'll mix it up. Coach Day's done a great job of of keeping people off balance. They that front to me has got a challenge. They've had to be challenged in a way where, you know, Alabama's lost to really one of their best players in the offensive line, Landon uh, Dickerson. And of course, Owens came in did a good job, a fifth year senior, but uh, he was a great player. Dickerson was phenomenal. So. You challenge those guys in the middle, hey, front, you got to make it happen. You got to get off blocks, and we got to stop this run and let us allow, to, let us allow just to use four to rush. We can't always just bring five, six, and seven. We can't do that the whole game. So you challenge that front, and they got to play their best game. But, uh, man, you got so many weapons. Alabama is so good, and uh, Mac Jones had such a great year. Uh, they they got to be. Uh, playing at a high level, and uh, they they've done it so far. They've answered the bell, and this is what makes this game is it's going to be fun to watch now. All right, Houston Nett joins us, CBS Sports, the former coach, Arkansas, Ole Miss, just to name a couple there. All right, Houston, let's get back to Justin Fields, healthy or not. We're not yeah. absolutely sure. But I saw some video of him uh, playing ping pong yesterday, and he he was diving, all, looking like he was going all over the place there. Yeah. Um, healthy or not. Can he do what he did against Clemson last week against this Alabama defense? Yep. Well, you know, I think he can now. I think he can. And I think he'll be healthy enough he's going to play. There's no doubt about it. And and uh, you saw him, you mentioned the ping pong thing, and uh, coaches wouldn't have him uh, doing that if he wasn't, if he wasn't going to be ready because uh, he'd be in the, in the training room. So, to me, that tells me he's okay. And so – We've seen some good games. We've seen some bad games. Justin Fields has got to be at a very high level. He's got to be very accurate. We've seen him do that. Against Clemson, he he was outstanding. And uh, he's got to be able to use his legs. But the thing that can help him the most, if they could have some running lanes, 
for Trey Sermon. That's a quarterback's best friend is a running game with, with, a, with a tailback like that. That helps everything. It helps boots, waggles, neckage, play action. It helps everything. And so you need that running game. So I think he can. To answer your question, TZ, I think he can. I just don't think it'll be enough because I think at the end, I think Alabama has a little bit more firepower, and I think they'll end. And I think it'll be a much higher game because Alabama's defense, it's not like in the years past. They're good. They've gotten better towards the end. But let's go back to the Ole Miss game. If you look at the Ole Miss game, uh, they had two running backs over 100. Not one, TC, two. Snoop Connor and Ely, these guys had 100-plus apiece, and then Matt Corral had over 300 yards of passing. And so you, I'm sure they looked at that film, but this up-tempo does bother Alabama a little bit. It bothers them, mm-hmm. and it keeps them off balance. So that's another thing to look at to me is how the tempo of Ohio State, how does this, how does this play for them? When you talk about the Temple for Ohio State, you mentioned Sherman and uh, the great uh, season that he's had at least the last few games in that. Now there's talk uh, that Teague might be back in the mix for Ohio State as well. Does that give Ohio State even more of an option? And do they want to try to run the ball even more to maybe chew up some of that clock to keep that Alabama offense off the field? Or do they just have to do what they do best and say even if it's a shootout, We've got to, you know, we if we have an opportunity to score and stretch the field, we got to take it. Yeah. Well, I think if you look at the last few weeks, I think Ohio State's played very well. And so they want to keep that same thing going. I think it gives them the best chance to win. And that's a great running game. And they've had some some passes, some uh, some explosive plays. they got a great mixture. And so – yeah, Mastery, we want everybody. You want all hands on deck. You want everybody that's healthy. We want them on the bus, on the field, I mean, taped and ready. No question about it because you're going to need everybody. And the kicking game is going to play a role. Every, every part of the game is, is so important. And so you need a, need a, everybody that you can have. You need the depth. And so um, it, it's uh, – it's gonna it's it's gonna be something to to watch because again, you keep hearing names. Hey, these two guys aren't playing. These two guys are playing. So I'm anxious to see finally. Hey, who's playing? You know, I've I've heard there's a couple of defensive linemen that are gonna play that hadn't played, and and that's gonna help Ohio State. Uh, Alabama has a defensive lineman. I can't think of his name that he's gonna play. I mean, so I'm I'm curious to say let's let's see the roster. Let's see the lineup. Houston, you were talking about the Alabama offense getting off to such fast starts. We know they're averaging 48 points a game, uh, 24 of the last 25 games. They scored at least 35 points. Actually, they had that streak broken last week where they didn't get at least 35 against uh, the Irish. Let me ask you, okay, if you're Ohio State defensively, and how do you stop it or at least attempt to slow down the three-headed monster of Jones and Harris and Smith? And like you said, now Waddle coming back. Right, right. I think I want to go back to what I talked about with the defensive front uh, in that room. To me, that's that's a big challenge. I let them know, hey, we're putting this game right here in your lap, defensive line, because we need you, and you've been disruptive. You you've caused some lost yardage plays. We need that tonight. Uh, we can't we can't afford to to bring the house and to have that many times where you have one on one to Devontae Smith, Mechie, and these guys, and and Waddle if he's ready. It's hard to play man-to-man with these guys. 
you know, over 50% of the time. It, it's really hard to do. So to me, it starts in the front. You got to stop the run. Uh, you got to get them behind the count. And, and what would really be nice if you're looking at the Ohio State side is if they could get on the board first and get a seven, get a 10 point lead and play with that lead. And now you're talking about playing with the clock and, and all those other things. And that's where your running game really comes in. But to go back to your question, how do you, how do you stop? This team hadn't been stopped all year. talking about Alabama because they're so explosive. So to me, it's gotta be keep them all in front, uh, tackle the catch. Hey, Devontae Smith. Hey, he's a Heisman trophy winner. He's going to make great plays. Guess what? Tonight, you don't want him to make great plays. You want him to, to, hey, he may make some catches, tackle the catch. You just can't afford for him to get loose and where he has the ability to make the guy miss and turns a six-yard play into a 16 or 60 or a touchdown. That's what's just backbreaking, and that's what we've seen him do all year long. So, to me, you got to mix up zone, mix up pressure, mix up the blitzes. But to me, it's the front four. They've got to play their best game. It seems like everybody's on the same page that Ohio State has to protect the ball and not turn it over. In your opinion, if they're going to win this game, do they have to create turnovers on the defensive side of the ball? I do. I do. I think they do. They they need to have at least two. If you get three, three you're really in business. But uh, you've got to have two, and you've got to protect it. And uh, that, that, to me, is it's just such a big part of the game. You know, who can get turnovers? Who can have a short field? That momentum, though, is so good. If you can get a fumble on a kickoff or – get a fumble on a, with a, from a back or a receiver, and, boy, you just have 35, 40 yards to go to go score, man, that changes it, and it creates that confidence. Uh, so I, just, I, I think you need that. I, I really do. I think you need it. But both these teams are so well coached, and they do a good job of not turning it over. You know, Houston, every time we get into one of these situations where we've got an SEC team against a Big Ten team, the conference debate always comes up here. And uh, this is not lost on Ohio State. Uh, Defensive lineman Haskell Garrett uh, talked yesterday about saying, you know, we hear this all the time, and yes, we are disrespected. And uh, they do have a chip on their shoulder. You coached in the SEC. You know what it's all about. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the two conferences and, and, and how much of that is real where the SEC, you know, we know that the media builds it up and everything, but in your opinion, how much better is the SEC than the Big Ten? The SEC, I think over, on the overall, I think is faster and, and a little bit more athletic. But saying that, you know, there's been years where, you know, we played Michigan in the Capital One Bowl. And, I mean, it was neck and neck. I mean, it was a toughest game, and we got beat in that game. And um, I have a lot of respect for Big Ten. I, I think they're, I think they're, you know, outstanding athletes. Ohio State has it, uh, a great football team. Uh, but I, here, here's the thing that that I see when you look at the when you look at the teams, and you look at the last ten years. What's tough is when you play. It's one thing getting ready for a team where you play them one time, but when you play Alabama and then next week you play Georgia, next week you play LSU, or and, and I'm not talking about LSU this year, but LSU say last year. When you look at teams, when you play SEC teams back to back to back. That's the grind of it. That's what's tough. Uh, it's physical. There's fast athletes, and it's it's hard. It's really, truly hard. And, again, 
hey, I, I've seen years where Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan, Michigan State, hey, they're tough as nails. I get it. But overall, you know, I lean the other way. Of course, I've been in there 14 years, so it, I'm, I'm, I'm partial. But, again, that doesn't mean that I, I don't have a, a, a respect for the Big Ten. I do. I have a great deal of respect. And uh, that's why tonight is going to be fun, fun to watch because you got two good teams, two sets of good coaches, and great athletes on both sides. All right. You've been talking about it a lot here. I know you've been doing a lot of interviews and your CBS breakdowns and everything. Know this conference very well, both teams very well. Give us a prediction, Coach. What do, what do you okay, say is going to happen? Go. Let's hear it. All right. <laughs> I think it's going to be a heck of a football game, number one. I think Ohio State will score. Uh, I, I think it'll be, you know, when you look at Alabama's defense, it's not like in the years past. And that's why I think it'll be a, a 42-38, a 42-36, 41-35. And I think Alabama, at the end of the night, will have just enough firepower from Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, and Mac Jones. I think they'll be the difference in a very, very close battle, man. Close one. Hey, Coach, real quick, I want to go back on something. that we, When we were talking about the strength of conferences and that kind of stuff, I remember when Jim Harbaugh got hired at Michigan and Michigan fans were excited and Urban Meyer was still at Ohio State and he said, look, I'm glad that they got a good coach. I hope they build a good program because of that old adage of steel, sharp, and steel. You want the conference to be better. Isn't that part of the thing? If When you're in the SEC, at the end of that season, if you get through that grind, you got to feel confident that you can beat anybody. You do want other teams in your conference to be quality clubs. Well, there's no question about it, and you bring up a good point. Uh, we always told our guys before the season, hey, look, you win the West, we on the Western side. You win the West, you go to Atlanta, and you play for the championship versus the East. You win that, you got a chance to play for the big one. And it's just the way it is. And, and you do that because of those teams that, that you're talking about um, each and every year. It, it's, it's, a, it's a grind, and it's not easy to win an SEC championship. But when you do, you're going to play for, for the big one. All right, Coach, before we let you go, I want uh, you to put us in that locker room right now. You've been in these, like, you've been in conference championship games and those sort of things, huge games. Right there, you got everyone's attention right now. I want to hear the Houston Nut pregame speech. What are you saying to your team as they're getting ready to come out that tunnel playing for the national title tonight? Pop me up, Coach. What are you going to say? See, see, the biggest thing now, really, the, the words – Right before the game, you're not having to say too much, but guess what? Because those guys have two chin straps buckled. They are laser-focused. If you got your homework, all those words were happening on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night when you talk to the team by yourself. Friday night is when you have a few more words. But this time, it's it's – hey, you don't have to say very much. You just have to say, hey, the, the, the TV's going to tell us when to go. <laughs> and I, I remember coming out of the tunnel. I remember coming out of the tunnel, and and they're saying, "Coach, you got thirty seconds." I said, "I don't think I can hold them. I don't think I can hold them. They're ready to go." But to answer your question, all you got to do right there before you come out is, "Hey guys, we're playing in the greatest game in the world." The greatest game of the world. All I want you to do is play your best because guess what? Your mama, hey, your sister, your brother, your grandmother—they're all watching. So let's go make them proud and let's go play. And that's all you got to say, and they'll come out of that tunnel running. 
All right, Coach. Great stuff, as always. Appreciate uh, the analysis, of course. Uh, you're the best, man. Appreciate you. We'll be looking forward to Alabama, Ohio State uh, tonight. National championship. He is Houston Nut. CBS Sports. Enjoy the game. And uh, what's on the Nut uh, menu tonight? You're going to be the comfort of your own oh. home? Break it down for me, Coach. Comfort of the old home. Uh, Diana has some really nice ribs, pork ribs. Woo! We got baked beans. We're ready to go. Sweet. We're going to get some pig going tonight. I like that. And, hey, but yes, by the sir. way, Coach, yes, I know you're an SEC guy, but remember, only one of the teams is a type of nut, and that would be the Buckeyes. Whoa. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Uh, what, what, uh, hey, what's y'all's opinion? Uh, who do y'all have tonight? I, I'm, uh, well, I think Frank's, Frank's uh, he's a bu- diehard Scarlet Gray guy, but I don't know. Go okay. ahead, Frank. Okay. Speak it. Speak it. I'm hoping for the best. He's hoping for the best. I'm with you, Houston. I'm saying roll tide, baby. Uh, You know, Alabama usually doesn't play real close back-to-back games, so even though the Notre Dame game wasn't that close. But, yeah, I like the tide. I'm going to go tide double digits, brother. There we go. There we go. Take care, man. Appreciate you. All right, there he is. Would not uh, be surprised at all if this comes down. We've seen these championship games. We talked about it last week where it's a one-score game. I would love to see that. But uh, it would not surprise me if we're sitting here tomorrow and I'm saying, man, Ohio State impressed me again because I didn't think they would do it last week. And they knocked off Clemson. I think Alabama gets it done tonight. But it wouldn't surprise me. And and I will say, the two best teams in college football, they are playing tonight. And I'm I'm very happy to say that. And I'm confident in saying that. I'm I'm just hoping that Fields is healthy and that we have a good game. Yeah. I think he is healthy. I think he's going to be okay. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, Houston Nutt for joining us. When we come back, we'll talk a little Dodger baseball and the passing of Tommy Lasorda with one of his uh, favorite players, Steve Sachs. That's coming your way next hour also. We'll talk about what our eyes saw yesterday on the football field in the NFL. It's the T.C. Martin Show on a Monday afternoon quarterback edition.